Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Seven minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you very much for joining us. My name is Bongi Kuala. We're together with you till one o'clock this afternoon. You can get in touch with us uh, via our Twitter. That's uh, at SAFM Midday Live. That's our Twitter handle right now, at SAFM Midday Live. Otherwise, you can SMS us 34701, Manchester United. Did they really have to win it so early? Uh, so many games still to play. Uh, I mean, the noisy neighbors, that's uh, Man, U- Man City, waited until the final whistle of uh, the final game. But, uh, of course, we're talking about Sir Alex Ferguson here. And congratulations to the Red Devils. And Robin Van Persie, by the way, for leaving Arsenal and going to the team that wins. On a Sober note, a special mention should go to the gift of the givers, uh, Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman and his team doing a marvellous job in Syria under testing conditions. Jen, uh, I just feel so proud to be South African when I see our flag being hoisted so high in those conditions far away from home. Congratulations to them. Our top story this hour, Beatrix Mine in the Free State is said to have formally started the process of uh, retrenching over 3,000 workers, the mine says this is due to low productivity. Beatrix Mine was previously under Goldfields Management. However, uh, Goldfields has confirmed that uh, the mine is now under Sibanye Gold Management. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by uh, Sibanye Gold's Corporate Affairs official, that's uh, James Wellstead. Good afternoon to you, sir. Bongi, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. The process of retrenching 3,000 workers, please confirm for us, has it started? Um, uh, first of all, I just want to correct one thing. We, we haven't entered into a process of retrenching anybody yet. What we've done is we've issued a Section 189 notice uh, to all of the stakeholders, being the employees and the unions, as well as government, uh, just informing them that, you know, we have an issue. Uh, the mine uh, was affected by a fire in February, uh, which continues to burn and is affecting the production from that, uh, that section, the west section of Beatrix Mine. So at the moment, it's it's suffering quite severe financial losses. And what we've done is issuing the uh, Section 189 notice on the 2nd of April. Uh, We've now entered into a 60-day process wherein we will consult with all of the affected um, stakeholders to look for solutions and alternatives to retrenchment and closure. So, but uh, the intention is clear. you saying that uh, there is a low productivity, uh, the fire is still uh, raging on there, and uh, really uh, there is nothing else that can be done but uh, to lay off workers, hence the notices are to all concerned. That's, that's not specifically the intention. The intention is just to engage with all of the affected parties and look for uh, various alternatives. And tomorrow we will be uh, entering into the first uh, meeting, the first facilitated meeting with the CCMA and the unions and employees uh, where we'll start to explore what alternatives are, are available to us. Mm. Just one issue that was raised by the Secretary General of the ANC, Gwede Mantashe, saying that uh, really he has a problem understanding why uh, th- th- this process will be of, of course, 3,000, because this was announced a while back. Why is it tied uh, to the situation that you have right now of fire? Because surely the mine should have uh, fire safety processes and uh, surely there should be budget that goes to mine safety, including fire, pro- uh, uh, fire that, uh, that has just happened. So we, we, we obviously uh, do have a lot of safety protocols. Uh, we're not sure how the fire started. I mean, it could have been started in a number of ways. Uh, we haven't been able to get back into the fire-affected area to actually uh, ascertain what caused the fire. But, you know, these things do happen underground. It has affected a very large area. Um, and and we obvi- obviously, as a, a company uh, with a responsibility to our shareholders and other stakeholders, have to start looking at alternatives. We can't continue to carry uh, mounting losses uh, over a long period of time. So this is exactly the process we've entered into with the unions and employees now. Uh, please unpack that uh, process for us, Mr. Wellstead. So now you've issued the notices. What happens after that? And how many uh, yes, employees uh, are targeted? Well, at least are going to be affected. Okay, so on, on the 2nd of April, we issued the Section 189 notice, which gives a 60-day consultation period between ourselves and the affected uh, um, stakeholders, uh, following which if we can't come to any uh, solution or can't find a way 
forward that can minimize or, or alternatives to closure, we, we will then issue a notice and, and inform uh, stakeholders uh, what, what the process will be, and that will be a 30-day period. So okay. it's a 90-day period starting 2nd of, of April. All right. So we'll be monitoring that situation. Thank you very much uh, to James Wellstead. He is the uh, Sibanya Gold's Corporate Affairs. Let's talk now to Lesiba Sishoka, a spokesperson for the National Union of Mine Workers. Mr. Sishoka, good to talk to you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon uh, to you, Bongi, and to the listeners. We understand the situation of uh, fire there at uh, Sibanye Gold's uh, uh, mine, but really, do you do you buy what uh, the the mine management is saying that uh, they are starting this process of uh, notifying you about uh, imminent uh, retrenchments and the uh, layoffs because of the fire? You know, Bongi, uh, what what uh, the spokesperson for Sibani has been saying is really very problematic in many ways. Uh, firstly, he's, talk, he's saying that in terms of the notification, his intention is not to retrench, uh, but to explore other ways. But I mean, this is contrary to what he had said uh, earlier uh, on two weeks ago when he said that uh, they don't actually have got any alternatives but to retrench as a result of the fire. Uh, but if you take this back, you will realize that uh, this is a fire that has been raging on for some time. But it's, uh, the issue of a fire is not the responsibility of the workers. It's so sad that the consequences of such a fire, which is really a responsibility of management to provide safety, is being pushed onto the workers as a consequence. Mm. Uh, and this is really very disturbing. But we're saying that uh, we find that Sivanye. Uh, and the company which uh, unbundled it, it's, um, we, we find that they are really problematic in the manner in which they conducted themselves. The first thing is that they knew that there are particular problems with the mines that they have unbundled, which belong to Goldfield. And this is why they have only, in that family, left only one operation, which is South Deep, which is a South African uh, operation. But they have not unbundled South Deep. They have decided to unbundle all the other operations that they think may have problems. Mm. Precisely that, because uh, one of the unions, uh, we told by uh, Mining Weekly, that uh, Solidarity, for instance, uh, has said uh, that uh, this was regrettable. Uh, uh, it believed that the mining company could not do much to avert the retrenchments. What do you make of that? Well, this is clear. It is as clear as daylight. You must understand uh, which constituency does solidarity represent? We represent the majority, uh, if not all, of the people that are going to be retrained here, uh, underground workers. Mm. So to them, it should not be a big issue. To us, it's a serious issue. It's a serious issue because if you look at the ratio uh, of the number of people that are dependent on one minor uh, in terms of the people we represent, it's a ratio of one is to seven. And clearly thousands of people are going to be supplied. And we cannot take this away, uh, that this is part of the broader onslaught on the ruling party in terms of uh, its commitment to job creation, especially in the wake of the 2014 election. What are you so it's a deliberate attempt hmm. uh, to fight uh, the goals of the ruling party. What are you going to do about it? Of course, we, this is not going to be left unchallenged. As the union will come on board in terms of engaging with them in terms of Section 189, we are excited that they've gone public to say they are seeking alternatives. And we hope that one of those alternatives is not going to be retrenchment. Thank you very much. That's Lesiba Sishoka, spokesperson for the National Union of Mine Workers. It's 16 minutes past 12. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Our top story this hour, the South African Transport and Allied Workers Union says bus drivers will intensify their strike today by uh, picketing in large numbers at bus terminals across the city of Cape Town. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,416.15 an ounce. Platinum trading at $1,419.20 an ounce. The rand trading at 9 rand 25 to the US dollar at 14.10 to the pound and 12.02 to the euro. 
Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. I'm Tiers Ngamoni. It was 16 years ago that my father started working at Total as a forecourt attendant. Growing up, there wasn't a man I admired more. In 2009, Total awarded the bursary that helped me get my degree in economics. Today, I'm following in his footsteps working as an intern at Total. They're helping me reach my full potential and that's why I'm proud to be part of Total achieving level 2 triple BEE status. Cheers, we couldn't be prouder of you. Total, the journey of transformation continues. One Day Leader presents Dinner with the President. Four lucky young people stand an opportunity to join the winner of One Day Leader in a dinner with the President of the Republic of South Africa. If you're a young person actively making a difference in your community, then this is for you. To enter, log on to our Facebook page and keep watching One Day Leader every week on Sundays on SABC One at 6.30 to 7.30. One Day Leader, shaping our future. Eighteen minutes past twelve. Let's go to Limpopo now and talk to our reporter Jabu Baloi. The National Council of Provinces, the NCOP, is in that province to assess progress within the five departments that were placed under administration. Delegates from the NCOP are on a week-long oversight visit in the province. The intervention by a national department affected the departments of Education, Treasury, Health, Transport, and Public Works. Jablani Jabu Baloi, good afternoon to you. Talk us through what has been happening since the NCOP landed in Limpopo. What has been happening so far is that the NCOP has had the Premier and the DG of the province uh, who are outlining what has been happening here since ever since the five departments were placed under administration. Uh, they are saying that, uh, according to the Premier, Kassel uh, Matale, he is saying that uh, they think for now, even if the administrators of the departments can move out, they will be able to run the provincial government or the administration without any problems because they say they've identified the problems that they've had in the past that have led the government had a budget shortfall of almost uh, 2 billion rand. They're saying that because they've now identified the problem, they've got ways or plans to deal with them. But however, there are still challenges uh, that we've had from the administrators with regard to their requirements in all the departments in the, in the Limpopo, including those which are outside of the administration. They're saying that there are still challenges which they need to, uh, to work on there. They're saying that uh, most of their procurement policies are not being followed, so mm. they are making sure that uh, all the, uh, the, the procurement processes are, are, are followed and uh, nothing is done outside the, the law. And uh, how did the, the NCOP react to this? Uh, what's happening currently now is that uh, the NCOP members are getting responses from the departments concerned to those which are placed under administration and also the administrators as well. So far, it's only the Premier who has spoken and outlined that uh, they think that they can be able to run the administration without the administrators who have been placed uh, uh, by the national government, uh, which has used Section 101B to put the first department under administration. They're also saying that uh, when the administrators were put here in Limpopo, there were mistakes that were made because uh, initially they're saying that uh, the powers of the executives, the HODs and the MEC, they were taken away from them, and that has resulted in lots of problems that have been created. Uh, say, for example, there are people who have been uh, found guilty or maybe there are charges that uh, the people must face in the government, the officials and the workers. There are problems to who is supposed to sign the charge sheets for those people in order to be taken to the disciplinary hearings and even to the court of law as well. Yes, this issue, even today, has not yet been resolved because they are still debating about it. The provincial government is saying that uh, since the powers have been taken away from them, the administrators are the ones who must send the, sign the charge sheet so that uh, these cases can, can be heard against officials who are facing charges in the various departments with regard to fraud and corruption. 
All right, Jabbaloi in Limpopo will come back to you later on this week. Of course, uh, the NCOP uh, on a, a, a week-long uh, assessment uh, strategy there to find out really how are these five uh, departments doing after being placed under administration. So we will hear from them later on in the week. And I must also tell you that uh, we'll be going back to Matibeng Municipality in the northwest. Uh, yeah, the, the, the municipality is under scrutiny yet again. I mean, this after reports that uh, it's failing to keep an updated asset register. There are reports of uh, uh, some assets uh, worth 3 million rand being bought, but uh, when one talks to the specialist, uh, you find that they only cost 1,000 rand. So we'll try and get some clarity on that one. And last week, uh, talking municipalities, we spoke to the president of uh, the Ermelo Business Association, Athol Stark. This is a residence of Msukalihua local municipality. We're calling for uh, the municipality to be placed under administration. This is what uh, the president of the Ermelo Business Association Athol Stark had to say last week. When you look at the state of affairs in the town of Ermelo, there's just too many things that are going wrong with no water, no electricity from time to time. And then, of course, we've got major sabotage that has been going on now for quite a few months already. And when you, in actual fact, take that and then you look at the Auditor General's accounts uh, where he is saying that there's 292 million unaccounted for at our municipality, uh, ESCOM is threatening to cut off the electricity to the town because the municipality has failed apparently to pay some of the accounts. We don't have water uh, in the town. The refuge uh, in the town has not been collected. There's a, a, a deep sense of uh, frustration among the residents in the township related to the state of affairs in the municipality. Mm. At the moment, the municipality is running tankers to supply people with water. And there are you know, these continual allegations of corruption to do with the tanker system because the tankers are supposed to deliver to everybody that needs water. But only certain parts of the community actually receive water. You are now calling for the municipality to be placed under administration. Of course, you understand the consequences attached to that. I mean, the municipality will definitely be hamstrung. You know, they won't be able to do anything. They'll be incapacitated. How soon do you want it to start? The situation, we believe, cannot be worse than what it is now. If the current leadership of the municipality is unable to run the municipality correctly, we as a Chamber of Commerce are now saying place this municipality under administration because the current leadership obviously does not have the necessary skills and is either one of two things, is unable to do what they're supposed to do, is deliberately refusing to do what they're supposed to to be doing or are acting in defiance of the Municipal Finance Act, the Municipal Structures Act and the Constitution of South Africa which are the three portions of the law which govern the way that municipalities um, must in actual fact um, operate. The biggest disaster is the zero communication from the municipality. You have no idea of what's actually going on. It seems that the only time that they answered correctly and answered truthfully was when the human rights organization started to question them as to the status quo of the town. And then and only then did some of the truth start to in actual fact come out. All right, uh, that was uh, Athol Stark, the president of the Ermelo Business Association, talking to us uh, last week. Well, we now have on the line the executive mayor of um, Sugaligua uh, Municipality in Ermelo, Sipo Bongwe. Good afternoon to you, Sipo. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Gwala. Good afternoon to you, your listeners, and particularly the residents of uh, Ermelo and the uh, surroundings in our Sugaligua Municipality. 292 million rand unaccounted for, uh, water problems, sabotage of infrastructure, zero communication. That's what uh, Athol Stark says, painting really a bleak picture of what is going on there. What do you make of this? Um, well, uh, um, to, to, to start with uh, Bongi, I must indicate that we are a local government institution that has got quite a number of challenges but be that as it may we we are, we just do not believe that all of that should actually be put in a sensationalist kind of an approach like the way it has been put going direct to some of the issues as you have raised and listed them and also as raised by uh, Mr. Atoll Stark just straight to the one that relates to, to the whole issue of water. Mm. We, as, as we speak, we are busy on the erection of an emergency pipeline that is aimed at trying to deal with the whole situation of water. 
and that emergency pipeline is there because as a local council we decided in advice by a low by a provincial structure that was established to declare a disaster on the whole issue of water around your MLO and the surroundings. And as we speak, like I've just indicated, an emergency pipeline is being erected and we're looking at around the end of May, which is next month, that the, the whole erection of this pipe will be completed and we'll be trying to make the necessary pressure testing and, and everything so that our people can get what I have expected. Okay. I, I know there, there, there are a number of issues raised here, but uh, one staying with water, the, the, the tankers, when you deliver water, we're told by Mr. Stark that uh, you pick certain areas, certain parts of, uh, of uh, the, the whole municipality. You don't, you don't deliver water to certain parts, but to other parts. That is absolutely not true. That is absolutely not true. We do have an approach that was agreed upon by council, which includes all the public representatives of the various political formations mm. in our council. We have actually, even the office of the speaker, which is the custodian of public and community participation, is leading the process where in-ward and PR councillors are responsible for the development of programs that will speak to which areas, which points do those water tankers have to actually get to for people to can be able to be within some sort of a walking distance when they have to draw water from the water tankers. All right. Uh, if, uh, if, uh, if it could happen, if it could happen, just quickly, Bong, if it would happen that in a specific or a particular ward there is no proper supply of water, what needs to happen is that residents in that particular ward must interact with their relevant ward or PR council to establish as to how the the actually the route of of uh, of the delivery of the water through the water tankers is actually established so that okay. they can be able to gas. Uh, Mr. Mayor, just as I'm running out of time, I want to look at this issue of uh, a call for the municipality to be put under administration. You alluded to some challenges, but do you think those challenges really point to the municipality being put under administration? Absolutely, they don't. They don't point to that to that direction. But because you you have a business association that somehow is beginning to take a posture of a political formation, example, practical or classical example to that is that the very same MLO Business Association just had a meeting a week or so ago on a Monday, wherein they were in collaboration with. Afri Forum or something, so therefore they will from time to time be making such calls and we are appealing to to the genuine business people to try and assist us because we do take them seriously as one important stakeholder but if they take a posture of a political formation, they need, need to get onto a political platform wherein they are going to be tested like any other political formation when, when they would want to contest election. Alright, so there are many issues to discuss. We have, we're going to have to leave it at, at that for now. Executive Mayor of Msugaligwa in Emelo, uh, that's a C. Pobongo there, but uh, we hope to get him back on the line really to uh, unpack this further. Many issues that have been raised here and a uh, little time to deal with all of them. 12.30 now and uh, it's time for the news headlines with Lulu Gabu. Thank you, Bongi, and good afternoon. The South African Teachers Union, SAU, has announced that it sympathizes with the current SATU protest action against the Department of Basic Education. Thousands of commuters in Guamhlanga in Bumalanga are still stranded after bus drivers in their area joined the South African Transport Allied Workers Union national strike. And police in Spain say they have arrested two men suspected of belonging to Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. Details of these and more at 1 o'clock. Thank you very much uh, to Lulu. Let's see if uh, Nancy Richards is on the line. Uh, no, Nancy is on the line. Uh, Nancy, what's coming up between one and yes, two and otherwise? I, I did, sorry, I was AWOL there for <laughs> yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you're popular for that. Well, you? what we've got on the show today, we've got a couple of us, we call them my stories. We're going to be talking to a woman who is a first aider of note, but she also did a parachute, parachute jump to celebrate her 60th birthday. She has plans for her future birthday, so we'll be chatting to her. And another one who has an amazing story of success and who finally won herself an award making traffic signs.
Before that, though, we'll be talking to an otherwise mole all the way from Mafeking in the northwest, and she's going to tell us what's up in her part of the country. So that's what we got lined up. Hope it's worth waiting for. Right after the news at one. Thanks, Bongi. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. This is Midday Live indeed. We're together for another half an hour. Still to come, the NC Youth League's task team has warned that it will disband divisive structures as it rebuilds the Youth League. And we go to the Marikana Commission of Inquiry now, where a police witness has told the Commission the reasons why special task teams were deployed to Marikana during last year's labor unrest at Lonmin Mine. General Charles Annandale says that the teams were to assist detectives in their branch to investigate the deaths of nine people who had died before the 16th of uh, April there. Make it August last day. Allendale who took uh, the, to the stand this morning says that he also suggested that there should be more public order policing at uh, Marikana. Let's now talk to uh, our reporter, that's uh, Lizette Labuskakni, who is uh, covering this uh, story. Good afternoon to you, Lizette. Good afternoon, Bongi. It must be pointed out uh, first that uh, the National Police Commissioner, Ria Pieja, uh, is uh, not taking the stand, and uh, maybe just uh, explain why. Yes, we were expecting that Advocate Darling Mpofu will take under cross-examination on Monday, but we have since heard that Mpofu has been taken to hospital again after the incident where he was stabbed um, on a beach in East London. So the EFAS cross-examination has stood over, and the problem that we will have is that we will now have to finish with the cross-examination of Annandale first, and before we can then get Pieja back on the stand again. And we do know that um, Paul, for being the only advocate for his clients, will also have to cross-examine Annandale. So we don't know if that will cause further delays, um, but we will have to see when Paul comes back to the commission then. All right. Uh, today, really, the focus was on the deployment strategy of the police there. Talk us through that. Well, it's actually very interesting. You know, after we've um, had so little information from National Police Commissioner Ria Pieja, we now have a witness, um, Charles Annandale, who can remember everything that has happened um, at Marikana in August. He can give us the figures of the amounts of police officials that were there and the strategies that the police implemented and why they did what they did. So today he took us um, a bit through how exactly they planned to disarm the police, um, these striking mine workers. And he said initially they only wanted to negotiate with these mine workers to lay down their arms and that they got in a high-ranking um, team of negotiators, including um, psychiatrists and psychologists, to work with them and to, to see if they can disarm these guys and get them back to work before any violence um, breaks out again. And um, he explained how that thing failed and how they had to move over to um, a more defensive part of the strategy. Mm. Very interesting this morning, he told us about the deployment of the blocked wire, which has been um, quite an issue at the commission thus far, with people saying, you know, you caused this whole incident by deploying the blocked wire and then the guys ran um, and, and you killed them. So what Annandale was saying about the barbed wire is that it's a standard police procedure to deploy barbed wire and that in the 30 years that he's been a police official, he's never seen any protester running towards the barbed wire, but that they always ran away. And as such, they believed it was a good strategy to use the barbed wire. All right, uh, thank you very much uh, to our reporter, Lizette Labuskakni, covering the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, sitting in uh, Rustenburg. Let's go to Parliament now and speak to our parliamentary correspondent, that's uh, Mercedes Besant, the National Assembly's Ad Hoc Committee on the Protection of State Information Bill, is meeting today well, to adopt the info bill and refer it to the National Assembly for possible adoption. The chairperson of the committee says that uh, the, he remains confident that the bill will include the improved amendments made by the NCOP and that will stand at the constitutional grounds. For more on this now, good afternoon to you, Mercedes Percent. Good afternoon to you, Bongi. Maybe just a quick reminder, really, of uh, this whole uh, information bill. It was a, a very hot topic uh, some months back and uh, it died down, but it's coming back again. 
Yes, indeed, and it looks like it's there to stay. And what I can tell you that it's just about to be adopted at the committee level, and then it will have to be sent to the back to the National Assembly to the House for its approval. So today uh, the committee is meeting again. They met yesterday. They adjourned, uh, and uh, yesterday the process there was that they actually, you know, uh, they all uh, welcomed the amendments that were made by the NCOP. And uh, mind you, all political parties. Uh, Opposition as well as the ANC, they all welcome to the improvements that were made by the NCOP. They say those are very critical and massive improvements. It has really brought quite a good change to the bill. Now, what is going to happen? What happened yesterday was that those amendments they must now be put into a new bill. Uh, it means that a new bill will have to be printed. So that version yesterday they indicated that that version will have to be printed, and today that's what they're going to deal with. So what they're going to do? They're going to take all those amendments in a new bill and this means this will actually be this will actually be the third printed version remember it was printed the first time and it was rejected and then it was approved by the by the national assembly it was rejected uh, as we can say at uh, an ncop level so that what it means now is that a new version has to be printed and they are expected to adopt it today but uh, uh, there has been indication from uh, the opposition saying that although they uh, accept and welcome the improvements that were made by the NCOP. They reject the bill in totality and they question the constitutionality. For example, the DA is worried about the constitutionality of the bill where uh, 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 Ms. Smart is saying that it affects provinces. And I think they're also more worried, you know, that the DA is running the Western Cape uh, province and mm. the indication was that, uh, that, you know, the Western Cape has already passed its own <laughs> act you know, law, uh, you know, that deals with archive material because they say that provinces have been given the competence of the power by the constitution to make their own legislation on, you know, archive material and records. So okay. uh, that is uh, one of the issues that uh, uh, they are unhappy about. All right. A couple of issues here, really, uh, Mercedes. I see here, uh, for instance, uh, the, the chairperson of uh, the ad hoc committee saying that uh, he is confident the bill will, will include the improved amendment and of course will stand the test of uh, the constitution. The, the DA, uh, and I'm sure I'm, I'm trying to understand what the NC is saying here uh, when they say they welcome the amendments but they reject the bill in totality. Wouldn't that be uh, viewed as talking from the both sides of their mouth? But what about uh, other issues uh, raised by the likes of uh, uh, right to know uh, where they really had a whole lot of issues uh, about uh, the bill itself? Well, uh, we, we all know that, you know, the right to know campaign has always been uh, against the bill in, in general. And they say that uh, uh, if you look at... All right, uh, Mercedes Besant, uh, really, we lost the line to her uh, apologies as uh, she was really trying to make us understand what is going on there. Is the deal now, is this a done deal? The uh, protection of information, uh, of state information bill is going to go through. It's being referred to the uh, National Assembly for possible adoption. It's at 20 minutes to one. Long-distance passengers traveling with Translux have been left stranded at Park Station in Johannesburg due to the bus driver's strike. Passengers have been asked to make alternative arrangements as operations have been completely shut down. Translux bus drivers are part of a striking union, Satau, who are demanding 18% wage increase. The employers just increased the offer to 9%. Noma Bulani reports. Frustrated passengers are scrambling to find other means to travel. Some say they don't have money to buy tickets with other bus companies and Translux is not communicating with them about how to get a refund. There was no one at the sales office to give clarity on what's going on or what passengers should do, apart from a notice informing customers to make an alternative travel arrangement due to the bus strike. Meanwhile, an SA Roadlink employer says some of their drivers have also joined the strike, but this has not affected operations. All other coach lines are operating as usual. Noma Tsekia was supposed to attend a graduation ceremony in PE later today. I got some money from people so that I can book an interview instead of a transfer, which I have booked in advance. Oh, they said they'll be opening on Friday, we should wait, they don't even care. Meanwhile, bus commuters in Cape Town say the strike is costing them money they can ill afford. Thousands of commuters in Mitchell's Plain in Kailicha queued in long lines at taxi ranks this morning. After the Golden Arrow bus service terminated its service due to the strike, now on its third day.
Many commuters also expressed concern for their safety, saying they have to leave home much earlier to get to work on time. a taxi and it's been costing me a lot of money. It costs me about 40 something in a day. And it's time consuming also because, I mean, I get to work a bit later as well. So it doesn't work for me. It's terrible if you leave work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and then you come home at 7 o'clock in the evening. These areas is not safe areas. The buses normally used to take you close to where you live. We are spending around an hour here. But there is not enough taxis. We really struggling. In Johannesburg, taxi drivers in Soweto say they are benefiting financially from the current bus driver strike. Thousands of Sowetans have been forced to find alternative transport and taxis after Patco and Ria via buses halted operations due to the strike. Minoland taxi driver Sfisos Bia says with the increased commuter volumes, it translates to more money for them. He says while it may seem as if the taxi services are under pressure, they are coping with the additional workload. We are working and working well, especially the drivers who are on the Johannesburg route. We wouldn't mind if the bus strike would last the entire week. Earlier today, police have been called to Marabong Township outside Lipalale in Lebobo after striking bus drivers barricaded the road and prevented non-striking drivers from ferrying commuters to work. Close to a thousand Exara mine workers as well as workers from Madupi Power Station and workers of other construction sites in Lipalipale have been left stranded. This as low-felt bus drivers joined the nationwide Tatawa-led strike over salary increases. Some of the commuters had this to say. Like it's because of these people of uh, low-felt buses. Those people who are now standing there, they don't, they don't want uh, the buses to pass there. The only people who, who manage to go to, to work is those who are using taxis, but not the buses. They don't want any bus to pass there because they, they, they are on strike. And uh, that report there by uh, Norma Bolan, really frustrating, as you heard uh, from uh, some of uh, the commuters there, frustrated getting to the park station with all their luggage and their food for the road, and they told that uh, there is uh, uh, no bus service there. Indeed, frustrating. A couple of SMSs uh, coming through here. Thank you for finding alternative labor for 3,000 workers at Beatrix. I have suggestions coming from Erisa there. Uh, also, again, Erisa writes, the miners are Russian-owned, and these retrenchments are looking like a destabilization maneuver. A few months ago, some 20,000 miners were also threatened coming again from Erisa then. About uh, Limpopo, this one coming from Mike from Ward 7 uh, Bolobedu. Uh, Limpopo province is rotten. Castle Matal and his friends are the ones who have looted this province. Talking about uh, the mayor from Emlo then, you, this one uh, is unsigned saying this guy is uh, blowing bubbles and another one saying that I bet this guy drives a car of at least a million rent. Many other SMSs. But uh, with that, we go now to Clinton Smith of uh, Sassman Securities, a portfolio manager there, uh, to tell us how the market's uh, performing. Uh, Clinton, how are the markets looking today? Afternoon, Bongi. Uh, well, the market's holding up quite nicely today, actually, uh, despite some concerning PMI no- uh, numbers that came out in, in Germany and China and hurt uh, commodity prices somewhat. Uh, at the moment, we've got the gold board down 0.9 of a percent, uh, resources up 0.1%, uh, industrials up uh, 1.8%, and financials are trading more or less flat. Uh, overall, the market's up 325 points at the moment, this is 0.9 of a percent higher, at uh, 38,495. And uh, in corporate news, we had some news for, out of uh, Pick and Pay and uh, Richmond today. Uh, yes, well, pick and pay firstly. They came out with their, uh, their full year numbers this morning. Uh, they reported an increase in, in revenue of 7%, uh, but headline earnings per share came in uh, full 30% lower than last year, partly due to the uh, uh, transport strike. Uh, pick and pay have, uh, have had to reduce their final dividend there by 35% uh, and will be paying 84 cents a share. Uh, pick and pay currently trading 1.1% higher uh, at 41.74. Uh, and then Richmond uh, came out with an update saying that they're expecting uh, an increase in, in net profit of around 30% compared to the previous year uh, as a result of favorable exchange rates for them um, with sales up by 14% over the period. Uh, Richmond currently trading uh, a big 5.5% higher today, uh, 71.19 at the moment. Mm. And uh, any big movers today? Uh, trading higher, we've got uh, SAB, they're up 2.8% at 488.40. Uh, Mediclinic's up 2.7% at 62 Rand. Uh, Starnoff's up 1.8% at 23.61. Uh, and Suntum's up 1.8% at 185.49. Uh, 
Uh, trading lower today. Uh, Robex is down 3.2% at 18.84. Uh, Harmony Gold's down 2% at 44.33. Uh, Northern Platinum's down 2.2%, uh, 32.18 cents. And lastly, Kumba Iron Ore is down 1.5% at uh, 448 rand. And uh, your latest market indicators? Uh, gold is currently trading at uh, $1,413 an ounce. Uh, platinum only slightly higher, $1,419. Uh, Brent crude is currently $99.94 uh, a barrel. Uh, yield on R157 is 5.25%. And then finally, we've got the rand trading at uh, 926 to the dollar, uh, 12 rand and 3 cents to the euro, and 14 rand 10 cents to the pound. And that's it from me, Ongi. Thank you very much, Clinton Smith, Portfolio Manager at Sussman Securities. Tune in to Morning Talk with William Bully. I have been concerned when you drive out to say the SABC and you go into Soweto. At one o'clock, the kids are already going home. Afternoon talk with Ashraf Gada. When you receive monies from the layperson, from the Patrice Mosepis, do you really have the time, do you care to go and investigate whether they in fact are paying their own staff well? Or you say, we need the money for a great cause and that's the truth. We're going to take it anyway, no matter what. The talk show with Maschabam Claude. Does it not make sense for the state to share the costs with business to ensure that young people get the expertise that they need, get these particular skills that they constantly ask for and found wanting? Only on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Start your morning with the news and the insights. Of the 473 senior counsel who can qualify to be judges, only nine are women and only four are black women. Must be a disgrace. Twenty years old. And yeah, I mean that's regrettable because that's a function of history. But what is more, and that's why I said, you know, there doesn't seem to be political will on the part of our government. There hasn't been a planned and an aggressive and a structured empowerment program of black practitioners in general and black females in particular. Join Polano Guala weekdays between six and eight a.m. on SAFM. South Africa's news and information leader. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. 12 minutes to 1. Now is the time. Indeed, uh, it is the time because we're celebrating 19 years of uh, freedom and on the 27th of uh, this month, we're broadcasting live from the union buildings. The whole of SABC will be there. And of course, uh, you'll hear these messages uh, ramming through your head over and over and over again. It's uh, 11 and a half to 1. Let's go back to the northwest province, uh, Matibeng municipality, again under the uh, spotlight yet again. This after reports uh, that the municipality is failing to keep an updated asset register. The report uh, says some assets appear on the municipality register, but uh, the Auditor General Terence Numbembe's team could not find such assets. Now, the Office of uh, the Minister of Cooperative uh, Government, according to the report, uh, has said uh, such problems, if such problems are persistent, the municipality would be falling, uh, failing in its duties to govern, and uh, it would not, not hesitate to place it under administration. Let, let's talk to the municipal manager once again, the Monde Judah. Good afternoon to you, Monde. Good afternoon, Bongi, and good afternoon to you, listeners. Good, good to talk to you because we spoke last week and you highlighted that uh, the office of uh, Minister Richard Baloyi uh, had given the municipality a clean bill of health and uh, really a week later now we have some serious allegations. Really at the heart of it is that the municipality spent 3 million rand for uh, electricity poles that uh, cost uh, at least a 1,000 rand. Help us understand this. How is this possible? Thank you, Bongi, for the opportunity. Yes, indeed, we've noted the uh, shocking reports uh, from the publication of the City Press in the past Sunday, uh, which seeks to suggest exactly what you've alluded to, that we bought uh, uh, two sets of polls for a cost of three million rand. The fact of the matter is, the Auditor General was finished with an asset register, a whole list of assets to the total value of a billion rand. That is the asset base of the municipality. Mm. However, as we've indicated, the asset register is not compiled in accordance to GRAP 17 standard. That process has started last year. It will be completed at the end of this year. That is a general challenge amongst many municipalities and institutions. Now, amongst that asset register, there are two sets of items. Lenven meter pole, uh, a nine meter wooden pole, which were used for electrification in Nokasi Township. Now, that refers to sets of wooden poles 
in Okafi Township, 11 meter and 9 meter wooden pole, to the cost of 1.8 and 1.2 million rand. So that you did you did spend the 3 million rand, but not on one uh, not 11 meter pole. It is the valuation. It is not money that with a, a, a procurement of poles. It is a valuation of assets in Okafi that appears in our register, which is a total of 3 million rand as it is now for wooden poles. Mind you, Okafi is about 4,500, at least 4,500 households. Mm. You know, when we value wooden poles, the valuation at the state is about approximately 3 million rand. Now, the article seeks to suggest that we procured one wooden pole for 1.8 million and another one for, for 1.2 million rand. It's completely misleading. It is not correct and it's not true. But it's, uh, it's created problems for you now because uh, some people may believe that you spent uh, 3 million rand on just uh, one or two poles. So what are you going to do about uh, this, uh, this kind of uh, reporting then? In, in the first instance, you know, uh, our assessment of this is that the journalist that has published this article either does not understand what they are publishing about and if they claim that they do understand what they publish out, then we then uh, conclude that there is definitely an agenda to punish the image of the institution. Uh, certainly, internally, we are discussing this matter. We will certainly take some action to correct this situation. It is certainly unfortunate, and it is, in our view, it is fraud of City Press, City Press to be reporting uh, uh, instance, despite being given clarity a week before. We have clarified City Press on this matter a week before. And even despite that clarity, they go on and publish a story which is totally misleading, totally untrue. Well, it's certainly criminal. Have you, have you explained this position to the Auditor General? Because uh, what we're getting is that the Auditor General, uh, the team was there, and uh, they, they couldn't find such uh, assets, but they appear on your register. What happens when you do an audit? If an, uh, your asset register is not in accordance to a certain standard, the Auditor General has, has got normal audit procedures. First of all, your assets must be disclosed in a certain format called Graph 17. If you have not disclosed the asset in, the, in, in, in that specific format, the AG cannot go out and verify those assets mm. because in accordance to their normal procedures, then therefore they, they therefore conclude that they cannot validate the existence of those assets. That is standard procedure. It does not mean that those assets are not there. Okay. As we wrap quickly, uh, uh, Mr. Judah here, I know you are a technocrat, not a politician, but are you getting a sense that uh, generally in your line of work, particularly in that province of Northwest, uh, when, when, and also when you chat to your colleagues, uh, other municipal managers, politics makes it difficult for you to operate as technocrats? Well, most, most, there's no doubt about that. You know, it's very, it, it's very important that uh, uh, the sort of uh, 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 there's a clear understanding between the political uh, agenda and administrative agenda. Now, if if certainly politically some sectors of society want to pull in other direction, it certainly has an impact on the administrative agenda. We thank you very much for clarifying that uh, municipal manager at uh, Matibeng Municipality, Monday Judah, saying that uh, the, 11, the 3 million rand was spent on polls, yes indeed, but not on one, but uh, on 4,500 polls there for the Okasi uh, Township. It's uh, five minutes to one. The ANC Youth League's task team has warned that uh, it will disband divisive structures as it rebuilds the Youth League. The coordinator of the task team, Makasela Mzobe, addressed the Youth League members in the Tegwini region last night. Our reporter is Zanele Butelezi. The NC Youth League task team is worried about the criticism that is leveled at the National Development Plan by union leaders. Addressing the league's Eteguini region, coordinator of the team, Makasela Mzobe, says this is damaging the image of the ANC ahead of the 2014 elections. So when people hear every day, leaders of COSAT and other unions, rubbishing our policies, the same policies that we must sell to the people next day. We can't keep quiet. But when we keep quiet, we are making our task of mobilizing the youth to vote for the NC next day extremely difficult. So we must take a decision to defend the ANC and its leadership and policies. So that's what we wanted to make it clear, that we are not attacking anyone. We are defending our policies, period. Mzobe also called on the ANC and all its structures to defend the legacy of Nelson Mandela from being looted by the Democratic Alliance. The DA is using Mandela's image in its Know Your DA campaign in the build-up to the general elections next year. Mzobe says the former president remains a member of the ANC and can only be associated with the party's logo. 
The earth does not owe favor to President Mandela. It made him what he is. And the Nelson Mandela Foundation must start speaking vocally against this abuse. But these are people who are told to protect the image and the legacy of President Mandela. We are not hearing them. We want to hear the Nelson Mandela Foundation side by side with activists of the NCU League calling for the stop of abuse of the Nelson Mandela magic. Nearly three weeks after the 22-member task team was appointed, it has now started to articulate its role in rebuilding the ANC Youth League. The team was tasked with building the ANC Youth League structures at branch, regional and provincial level. Zobe says part of rebuilding the Youth League will be to produce a membership that is able to critique the ANC, but not in an insulting manner. He says they will be going around the country meeting with branches, and some of the structures will be disbanded if they find that they are dysfunctional. BEC that were elected in a fraudulent manner are going to be disbanded. That's why we earlier on asked that resign because it's painful to disband people. Your ego is shattered. Next thing you never attend meetings. So let's save each other that pain. Resign. Mzobe says by rebuilding the youth league, they will ensure that the ANC becomes stronger. During this campaign, the Youth League is aiming to recruit new members from opposition parties and minority groups. Mzobe says hurling insults in the Youth League must come to an end if they want to appeal to these groups. Now, when we rebuild, it means we reorientate members of the Youth League existing, but also we attract those that are in the opposition. So it's each and everyone's responsibility to be exemplar. When the Youth League member speaks, old people must not be ashamed. When a youth leader speaks of the NCU League, other young people must not immediately disassociate themselves from that person. That has happened for a very long time. We have reached a stage where all of us must be agents of attracting people in the opposition. You know, the date for the ANC Youth League's elective conference is expected to be set once all its structures have been rebuilt and declared functional. Mzobe appeared for patience while they undertake the process, saying rushing it will only recycle the problems. Meanwhile, the national task team is expected to meet this weekend. Zanele Butelezi, SABC News, Durban. And, uh, of course, thanks for that report. Uh, let's uh, highlight that uh, the Polokwane Magistrates Court has postponed the case against expelled ANC Youth League President Julius Malema to the 20th of August of, of June, that is. Malema is facing charges of money laundering and uh, racketeering. Uh, it is hoped that uh, a trial date will be set during his next appearance. So it's okay to spend 667 rand for a wooden pole. That's 3 million rand divided by 4,500. Still expensive. That's an SMS coming through. Our top stories this hour... Beatrix Mine is said to have formally started the process of retrenching over 3,000 workers due to low productivity. Sibanye Gold's Corporate Affairs official, James Wellstead. We haven't entered into a process of retrenching anybody yet. What we've done is we've issued a Section 189 notice to all of the stakeholders. We've now entered into a 60-day process wherein we will consult with all of the affected stakeholders to look for solutions and alternatives to retrenchment and closure. The National Union of Mine Workers says the Sibanye Gold is contradicting itself. NUM spokesperson Lisibas Shoga. This is contrary to what he had said two weeks ago when he said that they don't actually have got any alternatives but to retrench as a result of the fire. The executive mayor of Msukalikwa Emelo municipality, Sipo Bongwe, says the, the municipality is facing challenges, but that doesn't warrant uh, it to be placed under administration. I must indicate that we are a local government institution that has got quite a number of challenges, but we, we just do not believe that all of that should actually be put in a sensationalist kind of an approach. Now is the time. And that does it for your Tuesday edition.